On June 18th, XXX Tentacion was shot dead while shopping for a motorcycle in Broward County amongst probable Mar-a-Lago members. X, real name Jose Onfroy, began rapping after meeting Stokely Goulburn, better known as Ski Mask the Slump God, in juvenile detention in 2013. Within years, X was able to become a full-time musician. In 2016, he was arrested for false imprisonment, witness tampering, and aggravated battery of a pregnant woman, Geneva Ayala. While in Hawk, he re-released a cult hit SoundCloud single, Look At Me. The song exploded in popularity as it received plaudits from contemporaries like ASAP Rocky and resulted in a unique situation. As writer Tarpley Pitt notes, XXX Tentacion was not someone whose fans reconciled previous horrific acts with previous music. His rise was closely tied to his criminal charges. X's music after Look At Me complicated things further. Look At Me was a thudding, hypersexual SoundCloud rap. She said one for a bitch I do. Hey, you put a gun on my mess. Hey, I put a hole in your parents. Hey. X's output after reflected the insecure Onfroy's desire to be loved by all. Some of it were weepy indie ballads with titles like Everybody Dies in Their Nightmares. Others would include technical rapping masterpiece slash All Lives Matter messages like Riot. He branded himself as both an icon to all the outcasts, depressed youth in the world and someone completely reinventing conscious thought with the long, droning Instagram lies where he'd garble out word salad phrases like, I would not detest someone's name to create a negative conversation to hundreds of thousands of adoring adolescents. However stupid or weird this all seems, it worked. Millions of young people had and continue to have an indescribable connection to X's music and presence. We live in one of the loneliest times ever in America, and X was what so many kids wanted. An intelligent friend who's a little bit older, volatile enough to make you feel alive, flawed enough to make you feel close to them, insecure enough to make you feel needed, and successful enough that you feel is shined by extension. The rap world is still putting together the pieces, and I imagine with our luck, there will be a conclusive theory of why he was killed and by whom by the time this comes out. But this is not a true crime show. We have, us, we have with us today reporter Tarpley Pitt, the author of The Real Story of Rapper XXX Tentacion, an exhaustive, incisive profile of the man filed 13 days before his death. And we'll be talking about Onfroy's psychotic legacy, the meaning of fandom in a lonely America and cultural degeneration. Darpley, thank you for joining us. Hey. And producer Chris. Hi, I'm here too. So your profile of X was, it was very novel. I think probably most of the people listening to this have read it, but if they haven't, we'll put the link in the description. Because you spent a great, you spent a very meaningful amount of face time with him. Uh, you wrote about this a bit in the article, but what was your sort of impression of XXX Tentacion as a person? Um, well, he's super charismatic. Um, I I was like so surprised when I met him because when I went to his house, I thought his it was his mother's house because um, the deed is in his mom's name. Um, so when he actually came to the door, <laughs> I was like like so stunned I almost didn't really know what to say and and but he just like is so easy to talk to and charismatic that um it was like talking to someone I already knew uh which was really like kind of um weird there was like this weird cognitive dissonance because he was very easy and enjoyable to talk to um but then I like kept thinking like oh this is a bad guy he's done kind of uh crazy stuff um but yeah, so extremely charismatic, pretty funny, um, 
pretty condescending. <laughs> uh, it does a lot of the sort of like nonsense, um, like uh, angsty philosophy stuff that he that he does in some of his lyrics and a lot of his like Instagram stories and live streams. Um, like he kept saying, one of the first things he said to me was like, "I'm the tree of life." Um, <laughs> <laughs> he kept saying, "I am the vessel." I'm like, okay, um, but uh, no, very easy to talk to. Um, pretty controlling. Like um, one one thing that we could have gotten into a fight about was he told me to um, he sent me away and told me to come back with a credential. Um, but I work for an alt weekly, so we don't really have like badges or anything. Um, so my editor like wrote up this letter and he photoshopped our like header over a picture of my face. And when I came back, it was like, this does not look like a credential at all. And we got into this sort of fight about what a credential looks like. And then he like sent me away and like came running back after the car, after my car and was like, no, it's fine. Like come into my house. Um, and then sort of like every time I tried to sort of, set the rules of the conversation or steer it in a particular way that he didn't like, he would shut down immediately or, um, or like make some sort of test that I had to live up to, like the credential thing or like a couple of times he'd like quiz me on, um, you know, like musicians that he'd said were his early influences in older interviews to make sure that I like knew my stuff before he would answer a question. Um, so yeah. Easy to talk to you and thought, or, or like charismatic, but like had some clearly um, weird thing about control. Yeah, one thing I had um, <clears throat> always thought was like an interesting, <clears throat> an interesting wrinkle to him was, you know, there are a lot of rappers who have like sort of you know sexual misconduct charges, rape charges, battery, and with music, I feel like people have a generally easier time just making their thing keep to keep going after that. And that's a whole nother conversation. You know, it was always, it was very interesting how like everything comes out about Chris Hardwick and everyone's like, Oh yeah, fuck you go away. But nah, right. it's like pretty similar stuff comes out and they're like, yeah, new album's good. You know, it just, cause music means <laughs> so much more to people. It means so much more to people than, you know, However good Chris Hardwick was at this, uh, I don't really think you can call it an art talking about TV shows. Uh, it's just never going to mean the same as music. It's not going to mean the same as an actor, but it's a different level of control and charisma. But I thought that X was particularly notable in this, uh, in that, you know, he was always interested in different genres. And I remember him once saying that he was better than Tupac because Tupac could not uh, do black metal and X could. But it seemed like he got really into making the sort of stuff he did on 17 and a lot of the stuff he did on the question mark, very sad songs about depression and loss. And he was say he was obviously you look at his charges and then, you know, listen to what you're saying. He was very invested in controlling every situation he was in. And I can't help but wonder if this was, you know, this is probably, was a deliberate choice he made you know i i am not gonna let the media dictate how my fans should mitigate their feelings about me i am gonna mean more to them than anyone else i'm gonna be the only voice that speaks to them in this way and did you did you just from your time you spent with him and from your time like looking into him and listening to his music did you ever feel like this was a deliberate a deliberate thing or was it more just like he was 
one of these people like Donald Trump. He's just like a purely instinctual person with this sort of preternatural ability to get over. When you say deliberate thing, do you mean like the sexual miscon, like this abuse or not sexual, the abuse or like the devoted fan base calling, cultivating a devoted fan? Yeah, sort of changing his sound a little bit after Look at Me. Did you feel like this was sort of a deliberate thing that reflected, tried to like. Oh, make, changing his sound. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he says in, he says in, um, he called into Adam 22 from No Jumpers like live stream in April and he's talking about question mark and he says, uh, like, I, tr- I tried to make a song for everyone. I tried to like have every genre represented and like everyone should be able to like this album. I think he just like really wanted to be liked, really liked being liked, was really serious about like his fan base and devoted to them, like would like message people back when they would message him about like suicidal thoughts and stuff, like very intense. He actually had fuck perp um, tattooed on his wrist because he has this, like he had this like sort of, thing about how space ghost perp didn't bring who was like i mean you probably guys know that he's south florida um rapper famous in 2012 for that uh what is it um i don't know mysterious funk or something yeah yeah anyway. mysterious funk and that yeah. yeah he had a really good tape. um yeah he was great but he did but so uh x's whole thing was like he didn't bring he wasn't devoted to his fans and he didn't like bring up other south florida rappers with him and he didn't like he wasn't like good to the community, good to the fans. Um, like there was more to it, but it was loosely that that like he didn't treat his fans right. Um, so like being close to his fans was like definitely a thing. He talked about that all the time. Um, uh, so so like yeah, that plus then he, and so yeah, okay, back to the live stream. He wanted to he wanted question mark to like appeal to anyone. I think that was related to like him being so interest invested in having his fan base be devoted to him. Um, to have this sort of like widespread appeal. Um, but, but, but in a way I, he was always doing that. Like one thing he said to me was that when he was a kid, he would wear like, he would like do like scene stuff, like wear like chokers. He, had, he was really into like blood on the dance floor and like sixth yeah. grade, but also like boom bap. So it's like, uh, you know, he was always mixing genres. So it was a, definitely a twist from, a uh, question mark definitely a twist from seventeen for sure, but he was always, always on that. Yeah, I there was something about him where you, it seemed deliberate. It seemed like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm going to be the rapper who, I'm the anti-depression rapper, and that like if you are afraid of the media sort of swaying your fan base, that is the greatest way to keep your hold on it. You get a bunch of like sixteen, seventeen year old fans. That is the greatest way, and you see how incredibly loyal they are to him like it's sort of i can't really compare it to anyone at his level um well honestly to jump in a little bit it kind of reminds me of donald trump's fandom exactly yeah exactly what it it, up to and you talk about this in the piece and it's really interesting that there's kind of an immediate like conspiracy mindset around these people around the the hardcore x fans yeah it's completely conspiratorial i talked to i i messaged a bunch of people on the um X subreddit and I, I interviewed them and um, I'll, I, it was like, it was kind of fuzzy what had happened to um, Geneva's GoFundMe. Um, it, it, I had to like call GoFundMe to figure out what happened. But so there's, was all this like conspiracy about what had happened with it. And people just came up with like the most ridiculous, cause I guess like some fans reported the 
GoFundMe, and so it was frozen, and that's what happened. But not everybody knew that that had been what happened. So the the the, the fact that like this eight thousand dollars had disappeared was like um, a highly like contentious um, thing among a lot of his sort of like defenders. Because uh, so a lot of them said to me like she used it to get cosmetic surgery and she never needed the surgery and she made it all all this stuff. It was complete conspiracy territory. Yeah, and sort of similar to Trump, I think it was Trump. You know, before his rise fully into a presidential candidate, was dabbling with conservative politics. X before his rise into being the depression rapper was dabbling in other genres, dabbling in emo and a lot of other stuff, but. I think it was a it was sort of a right place, right time thing for both of them, you know. For X, I always I I, I felt like for everyone for what everyone said like about how Me Too is going to change the entire culture. Uh, this is a, a different time than the people on the other side who are going. It's gone too far. It's like no, this guy like Trump. There's going to be someone who's just so instinctual. And is so benefits so much from sort of cultural and social degeneration that it's going to be perfect for them. And I, I feel like media and politics now sort of operate off the same algorithm, which is it produces someone. The biggest stars in there are going to be someone who it no longer encompasses your hopes and dreams so much as it does your resentments and your the things you feel you've been passed over for and the things that you feel downtrodden about. And for Trump, this is obviously, you know, sort of weird suburban revanchism, people who are mad at the NFL. They think it's like, uh, they, they've been mad since they thought that Beyonce did a black Panther show at the NFL. And he's that for those people. But for people who are like young in America now, I think that they're, it's just a horrifying time because I, they have a completely uncertain future. The everything that was seemed to be reliable and however bad these norms were seemed to be reliable, dependable norms for like their older siblings or their parents aren't really there. And they feel horribly isolated. And for however bad this guy was, He's everything that they would want in a friend like that. He's, you know, if Twitch or podcast is you get to listen to friends that you wish you had. Music is so much more powerful than that. And for like a 17 year old or 16 year old XXXTentacion, he was the perfect type of guy for them. Right. When you're like that young and isolated, you want to be friends with someone who's a little bit older, who's clearly intelligent but vulnerable enough for you to be close to them, volatile enough for you to be excited, and they're successful in some measure that you think it reflects on you. And, you know, if he if he had lived, he could have been, like, the biggest cultural force of this time because it was just, it was the perfect timing for a guy like that. Right, I totally agree. Although, I do have one question. Do you feel like, kids right now it kind of sounded like from what you just said that like this particular cultural moment is more ripe for that kind of um like isolated uh feeling in teens like do you think that, that teens right now are are more prone to that because i kind of felt like he was 
he was tapping into a very familiar um, like teen angst thing that is kind of like generational or like there's been many of them. Um, you feel like there, there's like a particular cultural degeneration at this moment where his music was like, yeah, I guess what is it about? Do you actually think that this, that like teens right now are feeling more isolated than teens of, of all time? I think everyone is, I mean, it's obviously there's always been teen, teen angst and there's always been music or culture that uh, hits towards that. But I think everyone is spectacularly lonely and isolated and teens especially because they, they feel things harder than everyone. I think we all or Felix and I see this in two similar but slightly different ways where it's like it's all more the same and from that way more different. It's like as you're saying um, teens are kind of always <laughs> have these like angsty feelings. But now you you have the sensation where you can like kind of feel it all together, even though you are all alone. So the thing that keeps coming back into my mind is like depression memes mm. and how like right. how much of a thing right now now is like teenagers joking of like I want to die uh, as like meme content as like I don't know like a SpongeBob meme about wanting to die or something, and that kind of embraces that eternal like dark angsty humor that that teens of all generations have had. Uh, and yet it can kind of like be mainstreamed uh, more in a way that amplifies those feelings that you do have. And even if it kind of makes you feel okay of being like, Oh, it is okay that I'm sad all the time because all these other people are talking about being sad all the time. It still doesn't it, it, in a way that just amplifies that effect in some ways. And I think that that's the way that at least I see the kind of like eternal truth yeah. of it and the specificness of this moment, if that makes sense. But I, I right, think there's right. a missing puzzle piece to that. And the missing puzzle piece is X fit with America's religion, too. And America's religion is, and it's weird to say this in the context of everything we've talked about with how depressing some of this seemed and how depressing his music was. America's religion is psychotic positivity. Mm-hmm. And for all X's <laughs> songs that are like, love is the only thing that makes me feel like shit. Fuck life. It's like you watch his other content. And you watch like those live streams, which like just engendered such strong feelings with fans. There is like you talked about how he called himself the tree of life. He would. Yeah. There was always this sort of kind of quasi bullshit, uh, metaphysical, motivational energy ethic <laughs> to him. Like we're all in a community. We're all going to build off each other. And really, like you look at you look at a lot of uh, communities that are sort of built around. Uh, shared depression and uh pain online you know it's good for people to commiserate and it's good for people to talk to each other but after a while it just becomes you just sort of reinforce how bad everyone feels and you're just sort of stuck in the same rut and you can't get out of the rut because everything else in the world outside of that group is makes it impossible for you to go to a doctor or you know have a job that doesn't make you feel like shit or have a life that doesn't feel like shit but uh he he had this sort of like weird Joe Rogany positivity that I think that was that's the missing puzzle piece that makes him kind of different than his predecessors who spoke to a similar angst. Right, but he paired that with this like weirdly callous like um, flip thing where he would like at once talk about suicide like in yeah with this, this sort of like energy like super serious kind of spiritual like. Um, thing that he did but then he would also like 
Like, did you see that video where he pretends to kill himself? He's sort of like practicing yes. for the look at me video. Yeah. And uh, like, so he would sort of like joke about suicide at the same time as like kind of romanticize it in his music. Um, and then, and then you saw that same sort of like callous side of him with the abuse allegations. Like in, I think September, he like p- posted all these Instagram stories where he was denying the allegations and he was like, laughing manically and like saying like i'm gonna domestic abuse your sister like so there was this weird it, it was both the joe rogany like positivity but then you could also be like kind of like very uh, like mocking of mock it you know i i actually have a quick question um kind of going back to to what we were talking about about isolation or how we got into it one of the things that really stuck out for me from your profile is that um, it really seems like he was basically spent all almost all of his time from age like 14 to basically him becoming famous uh, in lock like looked after by institutions mm-hmm. like his entire mm-hmm. adolescence was spent in like basically state care. Uh, and I was wondering if you could maybe just speak to if you how that came through to him or if it did at all or just like how what sense that gave you of his life and personality as you were researching this piece well so he he didn't spend that much time of his childhood in institutions so he spent like the first part of his childhood he's like cycling through homes he spent a lot of time with like friends family babysitters and then um and then moves in with his grandmother and then when he gets kicked out of middle school for fighting um he goes to this place called sheridan house ministries and he was there for like six months and then he did that stint in juvie during high school and then he drops out of high school um and then and then he's like he's like so many rests it's really hard to keep him straight but um so then then yeah he cycles through um jail uh a couple times um but wait so the question was what was sort of like the influence of the that yeah if that if all that, that time if that came through at all as an influential thing because it just stuck out to me as like you know a lot of you know, institutional time for an adolescent. He was definitely, well, one of the weird things about X's case is that on the one hand, he was, he was like an outlier from the Me Too movement kind of because like, you know, all these men's careers were going down the toilets after it came out that they had done whatever. Um, And his was just like, like shooting, skyrocketing. Um, But at the same time, he was being charged, whereas like Harvey Weinstein got, just got charged like a minute ago after like decades of, of you know, whatever um, rape. Um, and like very few of the Me Too guys have been charged in any way whatsoever. So so X um, like was both being let off the hook in the court of public opinion, but like very much on it in the criminal justice system um, and could was potentially facing like three decades in jail. Um, and he was, and so one thing that came through, like he was super conscious that that was like one of the things that was, that he was facing. Um, you know, he said to me a bunch of times, like, you don't, you just don't understand the criminal justice system or, or something. Cause he kept, he kept like offering up these hypotheticals where he was like, you know, if a woman beat up a man, she would not be like, you know, given this much hate, she would not be all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. If a woman murdered a man, she wouldn't go to jail. And I was like, uh, 
think she, like I don't know if the evidence pointed to the fact that <laughs> if the evidence suggested she did it, she'd probably you know obviously depends, but I don't think so. And and he was like, oh, you don't understand. And he would just like say that a lot, um, which is true. Like he spent like a lot of time, um, you know, involved in the criminal justice system since our criminal justice system so insane. Um, and so that was definitely like on his mind. Um, and, and, you know, three decades in jail is really, that was a, that was an insane um, sentence. And part of like why his accuser, I mean, there were a lot of things involved in why she signed the affidavit that said she was not going to testify against him. But one of them was that like, uh, she didn't think that jail was the appropriate punishment for him just because like the prison system sucks. Um, uh, so yeah, it was definitely like something that he thought about a lot and um, was definitely weighed on his mind. Like from the time I was like first aware of him, uh, I always thought about there's this book, all God's children by uh, Fox Butterfield and it came out a while ago and it's about the Bosket family, specifically Willie Bosket, who was famously charged, I believe as an eight year old for killing someone during a mugging in New York. And it, it was during the crime wave and it caused this huge outcry. So they sort of, they gave him a far longer sentence than they would kids and it sort of changed a lot of the sentencing system that they had at the time. And the little wrinkle with Bosket was that he was hyper, he was incredibly intelligent and he received advanced degrees while in prison, but he has essentially he spent most of his life in institutions because he goes in as a child, he gets out for a little bit on parole. He gets in trouble again. He committed incredible violent acts, both in and outside of prison. And the thing that, uh, Fox Butterfield explores in the book is that Bosket descended from, you know, his dad was a violent criminal. And before that, you know, generations of his family, they 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 experienced Jim Crow and then slavery and there is just this history of cyclical violence and despair and insanity and I always wondered that about X because his his mom was such a looming figure in all this and you talk about it in the article about how he felt the shattered sense of confidence of not seeing his mom and he would get into trouble at school just so his mom would talk to him but at the same you know, at the same time, it obviously does not excuse anything he did. I mean, Geneva, Geneva his victim, also came from an extremely precarious and awful home situation. She didn't do anything, any of that. But I always thought he reminded me a lot of Willie Boskin in that way, in that you can obviously not attribute everything to sort of cyclical despair and everything, you know, there is a certain point where someone's actions, especially someone as clever as he was, they're responsible for it. But it was, I always felt like there was something I would have liked to know. I, I would have liked to have known more about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I totally agree. Like, I, one thing that I was, I've talked about with my editor, like, a lot was, um, or like, that just came up was that, the the bat like there's a lot of people that grow up with like hard home lives but n not a lot of people do what he did which was like it was like i mean i think that's part of his fame is just like his his allegations are so extreme like they're they're like 
so much more intense than most allegations that you even hear about. Um, so yeah, so a lot of people have that background. Not everyone does this. Very few people do this. So it's not like at all an excuse, but it is context. It is like, mm-hmm. like he didn't just do that randomly. You know, he had this, he had, you know, baggage. Um, and it, it definitely is interesting to hear about. And I wish he would have opened up about it a little more. He, he was really um, not interested in talking that much about his childhood. Like he talked a lot about his mom, like he was so, you know, close to her and all this stuff, but he didn't want to um, like go back too much into his childhood. I think because the no jumper interview where he really like just goes at it, um, he like wait shared way too much. Um, and uh, people could see that he had these sort of like really violent tendencies. Um, so whenever I would sort of ask about, those early parts of his life or like things that might've led him to violent behavior. He shut it down immediately. I mean, he, he, part of that was also that he's trying to like better his image. So he wasn't even like down to engage in a conversation about like what potentially preceded his violent behavior because his whole bit was like, I'm not violent. I'm really, really nice. Um, But yeah, I, I would be really interested in hearing more about the things that precipitated his later, like, insanity what so you i imagine like after the article came out you know before his death and now and you've talked about uh sort of talking to his uh fans on reddit a lot uh what is your interaction with his fan base kind of been like um okay yeah so i guess the 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 reddit guys they weren't they weren't psyched about the article um Mm. they didn't love it um (laughs) they did (laughs) I, it's honestly, it's been, it's been fine for me. Like there hasn't been that much harassment. They did post my cell phone number on Reddit, which wasn't great. Um, but, uh, the most I got out of that was like a couple of hangup calls. And then like somebody sent me an infinite loop of hello by Adele, like a voicemail that was just hello by Adele on, on a loop. <laughs> I listened to it for like four minutes before I realized it was just not going to, um, end. uh, <laughs> But really, like, so yeah, they, um, I got a couple like notes, but they, they, they weren't that bad to me. They, they have been very bad to, to Geneva. Um, I don't, I don't know if you followed this, but, but she tried to, there was a vigil, um, right by the spot where he died, um, in Deerfield Beach, and a, a bunch of people showed up. It was like 300 people. Denzel Curry was there, um, obviously, because they, they were friends and, uh, lived together for a little bit, but, but I was only there for like two hours, but then I went, it went, I guess, late into the night and much later after the crowd had dispersed, Geneva showed up um, and and people were extremely bad to her. Um, I, I haven't spoken to her about it, but she posted about it on Instagram. They like got they tried to fight her and she brought these tokens to like people were leaving things by the side by the street where he had died. She brought like a globe and people burned them. Um, so. So, yeah, the, the the fans are still some fans are still harassing her that's for sure yeah they seem to have the thing with excess fans in geneva seems to be it reminds me of a sort of a turkish nationalist in the armenian genocide where it's like it didn't happen (laughs) but also it was good that it did happen uh because i remember like you know there was obvious there was like a mini cycle on twitter after his death where it was like you know everyone sort of rushed in. I think Michael Hale once said this, and it's the most 
brilliant thing anyone's ever said about Twitter. He said every time a celebrity dies on Twitter, it's like a group of 300 people trying to jam one turd down the same toilet. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, um, there was a lot of back and forth about it. Um, people obviously wanted to talk about his victim that day. And the response I saw a lot from X fans was either, you know, it's all been debunked or they've, they've also made amends. And also here's her post <laughs> from Instagram. She's sad about it. So there you go. And it's like, they can't, it, it, it's almost like religious thing, right? It's like they, there's going to be this schism between people who wonder what role she had, because it's like, on one hand, you have to think he became this positive guy and that crime was sort of the, it was a fulcrum he turned on. So she's a pivotal figure, but also she's the reason that so many people are unfair to him. So fuck her, fuck her for accusing her. And just pre-existing misogyny goes into it, but it's like, yeah, it's a horrifying cycle to go through with her. Right. I mean, the internet's really not good at like nuanced takes on people. Yeah. Like they're like pretty much good or bad. And in this situation, it's like actually incredibly difficult to parse like how to feel. Cause like on the one hand, X did like some of the crazy or like allegedly did some of the craziest shit ever. Um, but then like, that the punishment for that shit is not death. And, yeah. and so like the, the dancing on his grave stuff to me seemed like not right, but, or, or like not, not it. That wasn't it. That's not, that's not the, the, the reaction. Um, Cause like, like he should have gotten something, he, definitely something like maybe rehab or like intense anger management or jail or whatever. But like um, that wasn't the right reaction. And then, and, and then like he, he's not a martyr either. Like you can't just like romanticize his, his musical legacy and like what the art he could have made without like grappling with the fact that he like destroyed this person's life. Um, so it's, it's really hard. And the, the like, yeah, definitely the fit Twitter uh, fans are not like, or the people that are either defending him or attacking her are not like, I mean, it's a hard thing to, to, to come to terms with, but they definitely haven't uh, figured it out. Um, yeah. And, and not, not to put, to keep coming back to the like Trump thing, but the more I think about it, it's like one of the reasons that the nuance about him is so fascinating for this moment, because regarding the fandom, like every fandom seems to love being the victim or like portraying their fave as, you know, a victim onslaughted by all these forces, an innocent who's only trying to do the right thing, uh, you know, uh, confounded by this conspiracy against them. And the more like details you get, and one of the things about liking something now is you get all the information all at once, and you have to square all these circles, all the nuance that you're getting of like, oh, here's this fabulous wonderkind rapper who speaks to me in a way that I've never heard of before. Oh, but to the next day you find out he's also a horrific abuser. And y y it requires a lot of nuanced processing or, you know, maybe not a lot, a lot because uh, <laughs> abusers are <laughs> bad. But, you know, right. it requires a lot from a collective fandom to to ha experience all these things all at once, all in the quote unquote right way and for somebody whose career is you know what like 24 months long that goes from no one to superstar to dead like this it's like genuinely a a, a psychotic making experience for somebody who's actually like sincerely following them right yeah yeah 
I guess reflecting kind of on the reaction to him after his death and just sort of in general, I think there's like, there's an understandable thing that happens now, which is, you know, the message is obviously abuse against women and abuse in general to everyone has been kind of like, there have been consequences for accusers and not perpetrators. It's been treated horribly by the justice system, by the legal system at large and everything. But yeah, there becomes this like displaced anger. And the thing that I kind of felt after his death is like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell anyone what to post ever, but it's like, I did kind of feel like in some ways, like I was in a local news, Facebook, you know what I mean? (laughs) Where it's like, that's what you get scumbag. And like, yeah, he was a fucking scumbag, but there is something, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting old, but there is something about it that just strike. It was very like he caught to me in some ways. And it's like, is this the way, like, is this like the way things should go? It's just like someone's bad. And then just someone does death wish to them. The guy wasn't even doing death wish. He wanted to fucking rob him. Like it's, there, it just I, strikes me as everyone's in a pretty fucking bad place right now. Right. I mean, part of it is just the sh- like this guy. I mean, he had no ex had no like ongoing feuds, which is kind of why it was like sort of surprising. But there were so many people that like really didn't like him that the fact that he died in this random like like mistake way is so shocking. Um, I, I mean, I think that's also part of like what's what is what makes the reaction so complicated is like this was so like bizarre like fu- like weird tragic like way to go and it that's w- that's why it's so perfect for conspiracies because the birthplace of all conspiracies is trying to create meaning out of meaninglessness you know right yeah the, i mean the thing about conspiracies is like it gives you a one up on everyone else but then the thing about you know look at this guy's entire life for what it was it's like this kid grows up in this like horrifying household that we're still like piecing things together about he's institutionalized in these brutal institutions way too young because it's the only way that we know how to deal with people below like a certain economic line in the sand and you know through actions of his own and then and factors of his upbringing he just commits horrible abuse on other people and just lives this insane, short, brutal life. Chaos life. Chaos life, harming himself and many others. And it's just horrifying and sad. And then he dies in this just bizarre, random thing in fucking Broward County. So in weird. Broward County. I bet you half the people that belong to Mar-a-Lago live in fucking Broward County. And it's like to sort of piece together like a morality tale after that is so weird. It's so, it's just so weird. It's like you look at the story and it's just so. I feel like every day I just see something that just like it upsets me in this way that it because it just I think of everything that came together to make this happen and and it it just upsets me to my core. Like I saw a clip on Twitch of a guy whose main thing is being in character and wearing a wig (laughs) announcing his wife's miscarriage. And I'm like, this is the worst cultural time ever. And there's just something everything feels like that now everything just feels like how did this get here and just <laughs> extracting a morality it's the a to b morality point out of it is so fucking bizarre to me no i totally agree i totally agree speaking of 
I mean, just chaos life. I feel like we should talk a little bit about the other side of this coin, which is G- Geneva's. That's her name, right? Yeah, Geneva Ayala. Yeah. Ayala. Uh, yeah. Her, like, her life. I mean, just to, like, do a quick follow-up, you you kind of ended the piece by just saying she kind of wants to disappear from everything. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I haven't been following. I, I gather that she's active on social media and people get messages from her that they then dissect on, like, places like Reddit or whatever, which is weird in its own right, but... Is this closure to her? Does she feel like she has a, a concrete narrative? Or I, I don't know if you know anything about her, where she's at right now. But, I mean, her life was destroyed and defined in a weird way by knowing this man. And she's still, what, only like 21 or something? Yeah. I mean, I so I haven't spoken to her. She she um, uh, took her disappearing to, or like, she I think she's done with, with media. Um which is totally fair. She's been, you know, I've uh, harassed so much, uh, but I have heard from the, so Talissa Lee, who's like, like the, one of the heroes, I think of the whole story. Cause she's, she's the girl that met uh, Geneva in Orlando when she was living with X. Yeah. The, completely stranger. The corroborator, right? Like an abusive thing. And then like a week later helps Geneva escape and flee to Texas. Like, is like an absolute hero. Then when all this stuff comes out, Talissa is the only person that like goes forward and is like, yes, I saw this. Yes, it was bad. Like, this is real. Like, and this is a stranger, like Geneva's actual friends didn't do that stuff. Um, so, but so Talissa has been sort of like when, when I heard X died, I asked her and I, I guess, I mean, it's a, I, there's, there's no way to handle that well. I mean, like for all the complicated feelings for everything horrible that like he did, they were, I think quite close for a extended period of time. And there must be some uh, like uh, unimaginable, like emotional ba- or like feelings surrounding his death. Um, I'm sure I, sh- I, do- I know she's okay. Um, I know that uh, people have not responded. Broward is very, tightly knit um and everyone knows sort of knows everyone's stuff um so i i don't think locally people have um been thrilled about about the article um even though like nationally people have like rallied around her they donated money to her gofundme like within weeks i think it's up to like 27 or twenty-eight thousand dollars now um so like on a larger scale like people have been super supportive locally i think it's been hard um, but again, I haven't spoken to her recently, so I, I can't really say, but through Talissa, I've heard that, you know, it's been tricky, but she's all right. That's good. Well, um, there you go. There, there, there you have it. Our, there you have it. Incredibly normal culture, a just easy A to B shut story <laughs> about a guy's life, a to B. woman's life, uh, and just, a. You know, if things keep going this way in the world, in America, you can look forward to more stories like this and more <laughs> nice, normal roaming, stories. Ro- it's going to be a good year. Roaming yeah. groups of millions of teens who deified this horribly broken man and uh, now just wander the earth. <laughs> and it's great. Tune into our Twitch. <laughs> um, everybody, follow, follow Tarpley, though. Tarpley... Did an amazing job on this article. Um, yeah, she she has a very bright future music journal and journalism. So 
thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll put the link to the story in the description, but yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me.